right, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence, and I want to give a special welcome to you on what is the greatest day in the life of the church, so thank you for being here. I know we have many folks that are here for the first time. Welcome. You are uh, welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. I wanted to tell you guys uh, to begin about a study that I read, uh, not a scientific study. It was a very unscientific study. It was actually one of those um, like magazine surveys, you know, where they said, we are going to uh, ask 300 people all across America. So this is very scientific uh, kind of thing. And this, uh, it was found in the Ladies Home Journal, that magazine. You may be thinking like, why were you reading Ladies Home Journal? I would say, it's none of your business. I can read, read, I I can read whatever I want. Um, it's, really a fine, it's really a fine periodical uh, if you're, I mean, you don't want to close yourself off to stuff. The survey asked this question. It asked, uh, what's the one phrase that you would most long to hear? If you could just hear one thing, what's the one thing that you would most want to hear? What's the one thing that you need to be true? And so they tallied up all these people's responses, and the number one answer you can probably guess, the number one most longed for phrase was, I love you. People wanted to hear, I love you. You know, uh, it'd be great if a bunch of people loved you, but I think if you have one person that says, I love you, and you know it's true, that's pretty much all you need. The second phrase, though, the the number two on the list, surprised me. It probably shouldn't have, but uh, I didn't see it coming. So the the number two most longed for phrase, the number two thing that people need to be true was, I forgive you. I forgive you. I thought, oh, yeah, we are a guilt-filled, grudge-bearing, burdened people who long to hear somebody say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. But it was the third, number three on the list, which is why I've been telling about this for the last 15 years. Uh, I still haven't quite gotten over it. They surveyed all these people. The third most longed for phrase in America was, supper's ready. (laughs) (laughs) Supper's ready. When I was a kid uh, and I came home from school, uh, not too long ago, but long enough ago that when I got home from school, me and my brother would immediately go outside and play. This was before Fortnite. So you just had to go play outside. And I would wait, I would stay outside until I heard that phrase from my mom from our back door, supper's ready. And supper's ready meant all that I have to do is get myself to the table. There's nothing required of me except to just get my bottom to the table. All day long I'd been a tough third grader at Gladeville Elementary School, one of the roughest uh, elementary schools in the nation <laughs> at that time. And, but when mom <laughs> said, supper's ready, all that went away. I was the baby of the family. And when I sat down at that table, what I needed to be true was true. I was loved, I was forgiven, let's eat. And that, my friends, is what today is all about. The thing that you need to be true, it is true. The thing that your heart is longing for is for real. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. It's true. It's real. And we all kind of carry within us a longing, an ache, a, a wanting for something else. Interestingly, it's found most easily in our broken places. In our broken parts is usually where we feel the longing and the ache the most. 
Those of you who uh, didn't have a table where you felt loved, or you come in here right now feeling unforgiven, you feel it in that place. Those of you who lost your mom this year, your dad this year, you feel it the most there. Those of you who lost your marriage this year, that's where you feel the ache, that's where you feel that longing, the true thing that needs to be true. You feel it there. You feel it in your kid who's depressed. You feel it in your cancer. You feel it in your job that stinks. We could pretend this morning, or we could say some of us come in here with this question on our heart, am I going to make it? Is this really gonna work? Is the thing that I really need really, really going to be true? What I wanna share with you this morning is that the true thing is true, and the way I'm gonna share it with you is found in two words in the Bible in this story, and it's these words, and Peter. And Peter are the words spoken on Easter morning by a young man in a white robe who just so happens to be on the right side of the inside of the tomb where Jesus' dead body was laid. I'll say that again, sort of a mouthful, it's really important. And Peter was said by the young man in a white robe on Easter morning who just so happened to be on the right side of the inside of the tomb where Jesus' dead body was laid. All the context clues of the story tell us that this young man was a heavenly messenger. He was sent by God. He was an angel. And so these words are important. As the women are coming to the tomb, they notice that the stone has been rolled away. And there is a uh, young man <laughs> sitting in there who begins to speak to them. The scripture says that they are alarmed, which is the appropriate response if you go to a graveyard while it's still dark and some dude in a white robe starts talking to you. <laughs> it's okay. But the young man says, don't be alarmed. He is not here. You're looking for Jesus. That's right. He is crucified. Yes, that one. He is not here. And they're like, whoa. So here's the scripture again, just so we hear the story. But when they looked up, these are the women who came to the tomb. They saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. They came looking for a dead body. Jesus' body, he is not here, he is risen. See where they laid him. The, the young man says, like, see the imprint of his body in the linen cloth that you saw wrapped around him when he was taken off of the cross. He is not here. A good preacher would, would preach a whole Easter sermon on he is not here. But you guys have me. We're doing and Peter, okay? <laughs> but it's coming, it's coming. We've been reading in Mark, some of us here for the last couple of months, we've read all the way through Mark, so I felt compelled to share Mark's version of the resurrection this Sunday. But what I have to tell you is that Mark has the least amount of details about the resurrection. There are four accounts that we have in the Bible about Jesus' resurrection. They're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books of what we call the New Testament where we learn about Jesus. And all the other ones have more info. Matthew and Luke have more details, more info, more to dig into. John... This, this gospel, John, John has 18 strong verses about the resurrection. If you want to read a resurrection account, I would point you to John and you will see there, you'll be able to see the fog in the morning in the garden if you read John. I went back and looked. I've preached 11 sermons, Easter sermons as the pastor here. 10 times I've used John because it's so good. But this morning, Mark, Mark gives eight verses, eight it's like, did you run out of words, Mark? This is the foundation of our faith. This shook the, the cosmos. You're giving us eight verses, but one thing Mark gives us that none of the others give is and Peter. So 
This is what the young man says in Mark. But go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter is the true thing that we all need to be true. Did the women, uh, did he think the women would forget to tell Peter? No. Did he think that Jesus would need to know specifically that Peter needed this message? Yes. So why and Peter? Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and he was the one who promised Jesus that he would not turn away. So Jesus said, you're all going to turn away. Peter said, I won't. He said, yes, you will. And Peter said, even if I have to die, this is what Peter said. He said, even if I have to die, I will not disown you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows two times, you will deny me three times. And before the sun came up the next day, like that night, Jesus was put on trial before the high priest. Peter was standing in a courtyard watching. He could see Jesus. Jesus could see him. Peter was warming himself over a fire, watching Jesus just get totally turned over, mocked, spit on. And in that moment, somebody says to Peter, they say, don't you know Jesus? He says, I don't know him. And they said, well, you look just like the dude who's always hanging out with Jesus. Are you sure you don't know him? And Peter says, I do not know the man. They press him a third time. And say, are you sure that you don't know Jesus? And one of the gospel uh, references says that Jesus, I mean that Peter swore and called down a curse. So he said something like, heck no, or another word a fisherman might use, right? Heck no, I do not know the man. And when he said that, a rooster crowed. And Peter walked out of the courtyard, broke down, and wept. And the guy in the tomb says, Jesus is not here. He's walking around in the garden. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter's that thing that you need to be true. And Peter means the one who is messed up the most is fully and especially included. And Peter's the, the, the phrase of greatest inclusion in this story. Sure, you have to believe the resurrection first, but I think it'll be harder for some of us to believe and Peter if you're putting your name in the blank. And it's why the story's been calling to you. It's why we filled up this room over and over because this story says the one who's royally messed up, the one who thought they had it down but didn't, the one who said, I'm strong, but really she was weak, that's the one Jesus is thinking about and wanting to make sure knows this is for them. It turns out, that Jesus was the one that had to tell Peter. <laughs> so for Peter to kind of get it into his head and heart, Jesus had to actually go and tell him. Mark doesn't tell us that in Mark's gospel because Mark doesn't give us enough details. Mark's like your husband, right? <laughs> How was your day? Oh, good. Anything else? No. That's Mark. But John, John tells us a bit more. John tells us that after Peter had denied Jesus three times, that eventually he ended up back on the boat in a lake because he was a fisherman. That's what he knew how to do. So he failed as a disciple. So he's going to go back to fishing. And he had this overnight fishing trip with some of the guys, and he caught zero fish. So not only was he a, a, a bad disciple, he was a bad fisherman. But then as the sun was coming up, Jesus came on the beach, but they didn't know it was Jesus because it was still sort of dark. They couldn't make out who it was. And Jesus calls out to them. He says, hey, he says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. 
which is the same thing Jesus had said to the guys the first time he met him. Throw your net on the other side. And when he threw the net in, they caught so many fish they couldn't pull the net in, which is exactly what happened when he called them on the shore. And so all the guys, you can imagine, start hooping and hollering, right? But I imagine that Peter started crying because he knew who was on the beach. He knew who'd come after him. And so Peter jumps in the water because he knows who's come after him. And I picture Peter coming out of the waves, you know, cold, wet, miserable, having to face Jesus again. And Jesus has built a fire and he's cooked some fish. This is in the Bible. And Jesus says to Peter, you miserable fool, how dare you come back to me? No, that's not in the Bible. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. Surely Peter carried with him the weight of his own shame and his guilt, like some of us carry right now. Surely Peter wanted to say, but I messed up so royally, as if Jesus didn't know that. You know, we focus so much on stuff like that while Jesus is focused on breakfast I remember the table in my house growing up. Uh, we lived in a, like, a, like a 1970s ranch-style house. This was the 80s, and everybody seemed to live in a house like that. We had this wood round table. We didn't have a formal dining room. We ate in the kitchen, and I can remember what it looked like. I can remember the wallpaper border around the kitchen. I can remember the yellow kitchen counter. I can remember my glasses. My parents put me in these thick brown plastic glasses, guaranteeing I would not have a girlfriend for the next decade. She came true. And, but I also remember how I felt when I was a little boy. I can remember the fears that I had as a third grader. Some of you go to church here, you've heard me talk about this struggle that I have with anxiety. Well, guess what? It goes all the way back to when I was a little boy. And what I remember about that table is that when I sat down at the table, I was a beloved little boy. No matter what I'd been afraid of that day or that night. And the true thing that I needed to be true was true every time I came to the table, every night. If I could get myself to the table, the true thing would be true. If I could get back to the table, the true thing would be true. And Jesus says to the one who's denied him, while he's been out having his pity party fishing trip, he says to him, I love you. Don't you get it, Peter? I love you so much, I went to the cross. I love you so much, I went to hell and kicked the devil's rear. I love you so much that I've conquered death once and for all, and I wanna have breakfast with you. Jesus isn't so much into groveling. He's into eating and sharing and being with us. Can you believe, guys, can you believe that Jesus left with the heavenly messenger in his tomb the words and Peter? Make sure that he knows. Make sure that he knows. All right, I don't know what you need to be true this this morning. I really don't know but I know that the longing of your heart is found in the Savior 
who broke through the grave, who walked out in the garden, and who cooked you fish. And you can tell yourself a different story if you want. We do that. You can tell yourself the story that you're not good enough. You can tell yourself the story you can't be forgiven. You can tell yourself this morning, we do this in church sometimes, you can tell yourself this story's for everybody but me. But what I am tasked to tell you with uh, this morning is the truth, and the truth is that that's not true. That's not true. Jesus said, and Peter. And so, I don't know that I have the right to tell you what to do, but I'm gonna give, give you my best shot, okay? And so, you better jump in the water and swim to the shore because supper is ready. Christ is risen. I'm not tired of saying it yet. Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. And so we come together and we prepare our hearts to come to the table that Jesus has set. I wanna invite you to join me in an ancient prayer that Christians have prayed for years and years, centuries and centuries, to just sort of remind our hearts that we are welcome at this table. As we do that, I wanna encourage you to not take it for granted this morning. I want to, I don't know if you've seen the news this morning in Sri Lanka. Now we know that over 200 Christians have been killed uh, in in bombings in in different churches. And so I say that only to say that there are people who are still giving their lives for this message that Christ is risen indeed. And so as you come here this morning, remember that in in the mingling of this bread and juice is the mingling of suffering and death, but also resurrection and power and hope. It's all here together. It's really cool. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. If you've never heard the words, you can just kind of listen to us go through it. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Let's say together, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen.